0: Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, today is already starting off differently, so we're going to keep the theme going and we're going to be different today and we're going to not keep going in the book of Matthew. We're going to step back from Matthew just for today so that we can lay some groundwork um, for ourselves as we continue to move through the gospel. According to Matthew, we're about to go into the famous Sermon on the Mount next week, uh, starting in chapter 5. And we're going to start to engage and see the rest of Jesus' ministry, the bulk of what he did here on earth. And we're going to see him teach and talk about what it looks like in this kingdom that he is bringing with him, what it looks like to live in this kingdom, to be his people and one of the things that we're going to be seeing him do is a specific way of teaching. It's, called, it's a rabbinical style that we are not very well familiar with. And it's one that was very dependent on its audience's no, hearers to know and understand the text well. Uh, to be a, a culture that is saturated in the scriptures. And in Jesus' time, this teaching style did not have a, a formal name, much like the, the teaching styles that I remember learning 20 years ago when I was training to be a math teacher. Like the, it just was the way it was done. But during the Middle Ages, there came along some folks, some rabbis that got together, and they gave names to what these different principles were that the rabbis, like Jesus, were using as they were teaching the people, the very principles that we see in our text still today. And now, since we are not like Jesus' first century audience, where we are not a, a people, most of us are not a people that live and breathe the word of God like we talked about and saw last week, we were talking about the first century believers, we thought it would be beneficial for us to step back take a pause and look at this rabbinical style of teaching because there are different levels of understanding and interpretation of what is going on, what our teacher is inviting us into. And so we need to begin to equip ourselves with the ability to engage Jesus' teachings in the text at a new and deeper level. So it's going to be different today. It might feel a little classroomy, But I'm gonna tell you guys, like, what Jesus does and the way He teaches. What we have captured in the text is so cool. How He makes all these connections, all the things that He will invite us into that we will get to see. But I want to show you guys what the bones of that is first here today. Are you guys ready? All right, already here we go. All right, so those guys back in the Middle Ages—they came up. With four different words that created an acronym. See, even acronyms were used back then. It's just the way we do things, right? So, we had four different words that make up this acronym, PARDES. Now, PARDES is a Hebrew word, a modern Hebrew word, that means the orchard. Let's not get there yet. Back up. Just the title slide. Boom. All right. So, it means the orchard. It also looks a lot like an English word that you guys all know. What does the English word look? What does it look like paradise right isn 't it cool that the word that is used to describe how to to dive deeper into the text is paradise because that 's what it is kind of like isn 't it as you dive deeper into the text it 's like being in paradise, being in a this beautiful orchard where there is No shortage of things to fill you with. So we're going to dive into part S here in a second. But before I do, I just want to say, for those of you who are like myself, who when you think about studying the text, getting into the Bible and reading things and trying to understand things at a deeper level, and when you think about that, you start to feel a little bit intimidated. Maybe you start to feel a lot of bit overwhelmed and underqualified. Or maybe you even feel like a little afraid because you don't want to interpret it incorrectly. You don't want to fail at that. But let me ask you this. How many of us, the first time we sat on a bike, were able to race down the road, go off a 10-foot jump, do a double backflip, and land it smiling perfectly? One person out here. <laughs> you don't apply. Just stop listening. None of us, really, right? We had to learn first. We had to get on the bike and learn what it looked like to, and meant to actually balance on two wheels. And most of us needed those training wheels to help us out. But the more we spent time on that bike, the better we got at balancing on that. And we were able to take those training wheels off. And before you knew it, we're riding off curbs, Popping wheelies, building little ramps in our driveway, riding with no hands because we had spent the time on our bike and we got comfortable with it. And it is the same with the text. The more time you spend with it, the more often you continue to engage it, the more comfortable you will be. The more you will know how to engage the different levels that we're going to be talking about Today. Nobody expects you to be a biblical theologian. So don't expect yourself. Like all we are asking, all, my hope for us today is as we finish today, as you walk out today, one, yet you will have a, a better understanding of this teaching method and how to engage God's text, but even more than that, that you will have a hunger and a passion to find all these things that God has left for you and this amazing gift of his book, of his words. All right, let's get back on track. So we're going to hit the first word for the P. This word is Peshat. Now, Peshat is talking about the plain or simple meaning in a text, the intended thing that the author was trying to communicate, or what Jesus or the teacher was trying to communicate. think back to... Just a few weeks ago when we read from the, uh, Matthew and we saw how he was driven out into the desert to be t- tested by Satan. And it said he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasted, right? So the Peshat reading of that, the, the basic principle, the same simple meaning is just, just 40 days, 40 nights. He was out there and he fasted and he was hungry. It's an easy, plain understanding, right? And this is where most of us have lived in our engagement with the text. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong at staying or being at this Peshat level of understanding because there are profound truths still found in that text. You continue in that same story, like you see Jesus engage with Satan and he uses the word of God and what a truth that is that our best weapon against our enemies, the word of God, right? That is a profound truth that we can still apply in our lives. The Western church has been operating on this level of understanding for centuries, and God continues to move and do amazing things in his church today. Because God's always going to show up in his word, no matter what level you take your understanding. So this is what Peshat is, all right? Now the second level, the next level of understanding, the R, is a remez. And remez just means hint. You see, the the rabbis and Jesus, we're going to see this a lot, spreads little hints along the way in their teachings. And these hints are connected to somewhere previous in scripture that he wants you to, to go back to to help you to start to begin to understand a more full picture of what it is that he's saying. Or that, that text I was just talking about, the 40 days and 40 nights, like on the surface, we're like, oh, it's just 40 days, 40 nights. But there's actually a remez there. There's a connection to that. There's something in the Old Testament that, that is connected to that 40 days, 40 nights to Moses that Matthew was trying to communicate to us. So when the rabbi does that, he's like, I want you to go back to this previous text. And I don't want you to just to look at this one thing that I'm I'm quoting or the word or the phrase that brings you back to that. But I want you to look around that as well. Because you're going to get a bigger understanding of what that looks like as you look at the verses before and the verses that come after. You know, we actually do this a lot in our own lives today. I mean, you've... You've gotten an email or you've been on a web page where you've seen that blue word or phrase that's underlined. What is that called? The hyperlink, right? What's the intention of that thing? To take you to another page, to give you a fuller understanding of what it is that person is trying to communicate based on those words. one One of the ways that a remez, we don't call it that, shows up in my own life a lot, is when I'm having a conversation with my friends. Like Josh and I will be talking, have a conversation, and then all of a sudden one of us will be like, so you're saying there's a chance. And we're like, haha, dumb and dumber. Like making a, an instant connection. Do you guys not get that one? That's too bad. How about this one? One of the ways that I like to say goodbye to people sometimes, like, have fun storming the castle. No? Come on, now that is from the greatest cinematic production of all time, The Princess Bride. No? Man, if you guys disagree with me on that one, first off, it's inconceivable. Second, just don't come and tell me because you're already dead to me, right? Like, just keep on walking. It was one of my stipulations when my wife and I first started dating. I said, what do you think about The Princess Bride? She said, I love it. I'm like, great, we can keep going. But you guys know what I mean, right? Like, I'm depending on you understanding and knowing what I'm quoting from a movie or a book or uh, a song because when you know that, then we are, we're more connected and you have a better understanding of, of the joke I'm trying to make or the point I'm trying to make. And that's exactly what the rabbis do. It is exactly what Jesus does throughout his teaching. And even... His followers, we see them do it in their Gospels as well. They spread little hints so that you can go back and you can get a fuller understanding of what he is trying to teach us. Now, a ramez is not always easy to find. Sometimes it is. Like if you have a nice study Bible... Like there's people that have done a lot of great work and there's footnotes in there that tie you directly back to a scripture and that is a blessing when you have that. Like that's, woof, that's great. Easy remiss. A lot of times it's not that easy. A lot of times it's just a word or a phrase that Jesus will say or, or even sometimes something he'll do that has a connection to something that's happened before. Or it was said before, and he wants you to go back and understand that. And his first audience, that came natural to them because they knew the text. But do not let that dissuade us because we have amazing resources. Study Bibles, the Internet. Bible Gateway is one of my favorite places to go and search those phrases. Or just doing a Google search. Where does 40 days and 40 nights come up elsewhere in the Bible? Now, like, it doesn't really matter too much, like, if you st- are going deeper. It's, it doesn't change the truth, right? It doesn't make it more true or, or more inspired. This is still the inspired word of God. And like I said, if, if you're at that Bashat level, it's okay. But you're missing out on what Jesus might be pointing us to, the remiss, Now, from here, the remez, like I said, it gives us a hint to go back somewhere, to find more information, because he wants us to now interpret what it is he's meaning, and that is our next level, the D, which means drosh. So we're trying to now interpret the deeper meaning, the truth, excuse me, the truth that Jesus has hidden in the story. And we take all the things that we have gathered. We take the Peshat, that simple, plain truth that we can see just in the text itself. If there's any remeses in there, we go back and we say, okay, what is, what is he trying to point us to back here? And then we start to gather other things, like the, the context of the culture or the historical context, or is it happening in a place where something has happened before, the geographical context. And we start to put all these things together and make this picture of what it is that we're trying to learn from our, our Lord and our Savior, our Jesus. And then the final piece is sowed. Now sowed, sowed is one that's a little more difficult to, to describe and, and explain because it's, it just means mystery. It's connected to the mystery that really cannot be learned or taught. It's only something that is revealed by God. Now we have a great example of this happening in the text. We'll see it, I don't even know how many months down the line, but when we get to it in Matthew later on, we see this this interaction between Jesus and his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they answer, He's like, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter goes, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because this was not revealed to you by men, but by God. And he gives Peter a blessing. That is what so it is. It's not necessarily always going to show up. But here's the thing with all these things, these four different levels. At no time should they contradict each other. At no time. If you are at the Peshat level and you're understanding what Jesus is trying to say, at uh, simply the plain understanding of it, and you go to a Remez, and you go and it's one, something that's kind of contradictory to what he's saying, like you're digging in the wrong spot. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, go find a new place to dig. Find someplace else. But if you go to the drosh and it contradicts what he is trying to say through the Peshat and the remez, like, again, you're digging in the wrong spot. God will never contradict himself. His word will never contradict itself. Pardes, this is a great analogy one of our team brought up this, year, this week. Pardes is kind of like putting a puzzle together, which I've started getting into more as I've been getting older. And my friend told me this past week, no, he's like, no, that is an indication that you're old. And I said, hmm, I don't know if I agree with him yet, but it, there's a possibility. But I've enjoyed starting putting puzzles together. And when you, for those of you who are puzzlers out there, you guys know if you put one together, what do you, what's the first thing you do? You start sorting out all the edge pieces, right? Putting them all aside, and you start to build your edge. That's Peshat. Peshat. It it gives us the borders of what we are working within. I don't know about you guys, when I've put a puzzle together, I never always find all the edge pieces. There's always some missing, and so I find them along the way. It's kind of like how I see the text when I engage it, like, I'll read a piece of text that I've read dozens of times and something new will pop out at me. I'm like, I never noticed that was in there. It's like a new truth, but it's always been there. Ramez is kind of like when you take all the different pieces and all the different colors, you like to start, start to sort them out. Like, oh, this looks like a sky piece. And here's a, a water piece. And, oh, here's a, a, a mountain piece. And you start to move them a pe- oh, all the little sections. And then once you start to piece them together, that's like drosh. I start to put all the pieces together. Oh, man, look at that. That was a cabin. All those little pieces, that made a cabin. And there's a mountain behind it. And I start to get the fuller picture of what it is that I'm putting together as all these pieces are snapped. Sewed. I don't know, So is like so it's like that piece that you try in the same spot a dozen times. It never goes in there. And you're like, what? where does this piece go? Set it off to the side. Get to the end of the puzzle. It's one of the few pieces left. There are spots still there. You're like, I don't know. And it snaps in. You're like, what in the world? I've tried this a dozen times, and now it's finally, it's a mystery. That's what sewed's so like. And if I can take this analogy one step further, I don't feel like doing puzzles every day. There are days my wife has started a puzzle and she's like, hey, come on over, let's do a puzzle together. And I'm like, nah, not today. And through the course of the puzzle, come help me. I'm like, no, not in the mood. Or there's days where I'll go over there and I'll sit down, and in 20 minutes, I'll find two pieces that connect. And be like, this is ridiculous. I am done. And I walk away. And then there's days where it's just like everything I touch is going together. This is what it's like for me with the text. I, I don't have this stuff figured out, guys. I I am still learning as I go as well. Because there are some days where I'm just like, I don't really feel like reading the Bible today. Life really stinks and there are some days where I'm like okay I have to read the Bible I need to because I know that it brings me life but I just read the surface and I see the Peshat, the plain truth that's there there are some days when I things start to pop out at me from the text and I'm like oh that's interesting why is that there and I start to look at and I'm like eh, I don't know I don't think I found the right thing. And I give up. And there's some days that I get lost jumping around in the text for 20 minutes, finding all the different connections that God has left there for me to look at. But I keep coming back. Just like that puzzle would sit unfinished. If I didn't come back and just kept engaging it, it's the same with us with the text. We don't get to appreciate the beauty of a completed picture if we don't do the work. And this is what I want to encourage all of you guys to do today to not give up, to keep going back, keep getting back on that bike. How many times did you fall off before you learned how to write it? Keep going back to the puzzle and find one more piece that goes together. Because as you do, you're going to get better. You're going to become more comfortable with what you're doing in the text. How to read, how to study, what questions to ask. You're going to begin to see this amazing picture that God is putting together in his word. This week, our life groups, you probably see it in your in your handouts, our life groups are gonna work through part S together. If you didn't see that yet, here's your your hint. You're going through part S this week. We're giving you guys a, a scripture, and it's not in Matthew, because we don't wanna, you know, take away all the fun that we get to have later on. But as a group, you're gonna come together and work through the Peshat, the Remez, the Drash, and maybe God will so, uh, Give you guys some sowed this week About this text But I want to finish our time today Starting this process We're going to start in John chapter 8 Give you guys who are in a life group A little head start And my hope is for those of you Who are not in a life group yet You see how awesome things can be for you You get to have awesome conversations in life group and maybe it'll spur you to, to want to get into one. Or maybe it'll help you, you know, get a little bit of a hunger to do some of this on your own and, and then go find somebody to talk about. Maybe your neighbor, you can get their phone number, go out to lunch and talk about it later. But like I said, guys, I just, my hope is that as we go through this, that you just God ignites a fire in your, in your stomach for his text. So let's go to John 8. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to John 8 and read a section of text. I'll just kind of walk you guys through my process of how I would work through this stuff. And it's not like I'm like, all right, here's my system. Pardes. I'm going to find the Peshat. Now I need to see if there's any remez. What's the drosh? Is there anything for sowed? Like I'm... This is not a cheat code for the Bible, right? it feels systematic, but just like riding a bike, once you do it a long time, it just becomes natural. It's just a part of how you read the text and and look at it. So, John chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Here's what God's word says. I'm going to go the verse before. Then they all went home But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on asking him, he straightened up and said, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. All right, let's ask ourselves, what is... the intended meaning here. What's going on? So just as we just look at it, what are the things that are happening? I see these Pharisees and scribes coming to Jesus to try to trap him, right? They're trying to, to get him to do something that he shouldn't do so they can turn him into the authorities because he's causing trouble. And what it is is they brought a, a woman caught in adultery, Right? And then Jesus does his Jesus-y things, and he mysteriously bends down and draws in the dirt. It's like, he, I don't know, is he playing with the etch-a-sketch? What is he doing? Like, what's going on? And, but then he looks up and says, if you, have the, if you have no sin, be the first one to throw the stone. And then more drawing. And then this, this is the thing that makes them walk away. Okay, that's a mystery. And then he looks at the woman and he's like, Where are your your condemners? And she said, "They're, they're gone. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And that, that is the truth of this text that jumps out at me. The amazing truth of who Jesus is, that he is not one who condemns us for our mistakes, nor does he condone it. Right? He's not saying it's okay. He says, I don't condemn you for it, but you need to Go back to life and stop doing what you've been doing. Live in sin no more. We could stop there and that is, a, that is a profound truth, isn't it? We could apply that in our lives today. But there are things happening in here that make me ask questions. Which you guys know it's okay to ask questions of the text, right? Like, I, I don't know how many of you were similar to me growing up, and maybe somebody specifically told you to not ask questions about the text, or it was implied, because why would you question what is in God's Word? Like, man, I don't think that's right. I think God has designed us to be curious. He has designed us to want to understand him more, and that comes through asking questions. So one of the questions I have as I'm looking through this is like, did Moses really command that they stone a woman for adultery? That's interesting. Well, hey, this is one of those remeses. It's not one from Jesus. I think it might be one from John. That points back to something previously And my nice study Bible has a footnote It tells me exactly where it's at It comes from Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22 Which I think I have for us up here Oh yeah, here we go If a man commits adultery with another man's wife The wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress Are to be put to death Wait, they both say that There's something missing back in John 8, isn't there? Where's the man? The Pharisees have brought the woman who was caught in adultery, but where is the man? And so I'm like, what are these guys up to? We know they're trying to trap him, but it doesn't seem like they're doing it on the up and up, does it? But I'm going to let you guys dig more into that one yourselves. There's another question I have here. What is Jesus drawing in the dirt? Like what in the world is going on here? There's a lot of theories out there. You know, is this a Rames? Is this Jesus hearkening back to something that has happened previously? He's not saying it, but he's doing it. Because that, I think, happens sometimes. And I will tell you that it is. What he's doing is connected to something that has been said or done before. But I'm not going to tell you what. I'm going to leave that for you. I'm going to leave that for you. Like I said, there's a lot of resources out there. And just a basic Google search what is Jesus writing in the dirt? Will start you down the path to find where this remes goes. I'm really excited about our life group this week. I'm excited to, to hear where our group has been taken in the text and discuss what Jesus is trying to teach us through this, this interaction. Because the text is best studied in the context of community. That's how it was designed, I believe. We need to do work on our own, yes, but we need to then come together and talk about it. Because we're not always going to agree on what is what. You might find a ramez that I don't find, and we can get together like a couple of my friends have done in the past, and they have discussion, debate, and sometimes argue. And that's Okay. Because the point isn't to find the right answer. The point is to draw closer to our God, to become more connected with Him through His Word. Because His Word, like we are told in Isaiah, will never come back void, it will always accomplish its purposes. And I believe one of those purposes is for us to know and understand who our God is better. If you just do the work, get on the bike, training wheels still on, parents behind you with a hand on the the seat, whatever it takes, just engage the text. Engage with John 8 this week. See where God takes you. All right, now we get to celebrate one other thing that we get to celebrate every week about who Jesus is. He's a masterful rabbi, and we're going to see more about it, how he strings these amazing things along the way in his teachings. But he's also a rabbi who who showed us what it was like to live a life of sacrifice, to give of ourselves for one another. And we get to remember and celebrate that each week with communion. This is one of my favorite times of the week because it's one time I can focus. It's a set-aside focus time that I can recenter and reset my mind and my heart on what God is wanting for the coming week. And I hope as you are coming together with me and we do this as a family and we celebrate our, our Savior, our Jesus, and who he was and what he did on this earth, that you will do the same. For. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. After the meal, he took the, the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for how amazing you are, Lord. How you have given us so many things just in this one collection of books to understand who you are. That you have given given us the opportunity to dig deeper into understanding who you are. Lord, that there are so many levels of, to understanding what you're doing on this earth, what it looks like to live in this kingdom that you have called us to be a part of. God, I just pray that you will ignite a fire within all of us for this amazing book, for the teachings that you are going to be given us through your son, Jesus, in the coming weeks. Lord, as we see those things, that we will ask questions of you, of one another, of this book, and that we won't stop there, that we will seek the answers out, Lord. We will seek out where you want to take us in that, whether we get answers or not. Lord, may you be glorified. May you be raised up in our our conversations this week about your text and about the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.